You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. All right. Well, happy birthday once again, Radiant Church, five years old. Feels good. Feels good to be out of diapers. Amen. (laughs) Five years old. In 2016, um, the Lord gave Carrie and I a vision for a life-giving church here in Bay City. In 2017, we started with a group of about 30 people to help us launch this church. It was incredible. 30 faithful people who decided to sacrifice so much to launch this church who believed in the vision. And now, uh, five years later, we have hundreds of people who call Radiant Church their home. It's amazing what God has done. And um, man, uh, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. We don't want to be, we don't want to grow comfortable, but we do want to celebrate all that God has done. Well, today, listen, we're wrapping up our series entitled Seven, a letter to the seven churches. And by the way, a quick note, next week, I'm starting a brand new six-week, maybe seven-week series on spiritual warfare. And so really pumped about this. Um, So just quick announcement about that. But back to our series for today. We're talking about seven letters to the churches that are written to uh, churches throughout Asia Minor. And the writer is is actually the Apostle John. John is writing down what Jesus has told him to write down. And these churches are are located in modern-day Turkey. And John actually writes from this tiny little remote island off of the west coast of Turkey known as Patmos. Now, why is John writing from this tiny little island? Well, the Roman emperor Domitian exiled him there because of persecution of the faith. John was preaching the gospel, and of course, the Roman Empire in the first century was hostile towards Christianity. And so John is exiled in that island, and he is writing, penning these letters that Jesus has dictated to him. And if you're new to the Bible, if you're new to church, period, listen, John also wrote the Gospel of John, which is the fourth gospel. And then he also wrote uh, first, second, and third letters of John as well, found in the New Testament. Now, today, we're looking at the seventh letter, and this is the letter to the church in Laodicea, the church in Laodicea. And we're going to go ahead and dive right in. If you have a smartphone, you can follow along. We'll have the verses behind me as well. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse number 14. And notice what the text says. It says this, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, Right. So this is Jesus saying, write this down. These are the words of the amen or the amen, the faithful and true witness. This is Jesus referring to himself. True witness, the ruler of God's creation. Isn't that amazing? Jesus says, I am the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot or that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, 
pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. This is Jesus talking to the church. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, true riches, and a white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Salve is like an ointment, medication. It can be used as a healing agent. Verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke in discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. This is interesting language. Jesus is actually standing outside of the church. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will what? Come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. And Jesus ends it as he's always ended these letters. Whoever has ears, a spiritual ear, not just a physical ear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Church, let's take a few moments. Let's pray together, and then we're going to dive into the rest of our message. God, we love you, and we thank you so much for um, five years. We thank you for your faithfulness. God, you've never let us down. God, there have been good times. There have been bad times. There have been very, very difficult times, God, and yet you've been faithful throughout every part of the journey. Lord, would you heal hearts this morning? Would you encourage those who have come in with a, just a, a discouraged heart, with a heavy heart? Lord, would you um, meet us right where we're at? You are the God of the breakthrough, God, so would you bring breakthrough? Lord, would you call prodigal sons and daughters home, Lord? those who've wandered from the faith, those who've wandered from mom and dad, or, or maybe just mom in the picture, or just dad in the picture. Either way, Lord, call children back home where they belong, God. Lord, would you soften hearts this morning? Would you open blind eyes? Would you unlock deaf ears? Would you cause people who are in disbelief to believe? Only you can do that. Scripture tells us, God, that no one can say Jesus is Lord but by the Spirit of God. So, Lord, it is a miraculous thing for someone to say Jesus is Lord. So, God, would you cause men and women to draw near to you this morning? We worship you. We love you, God. We give you our all. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen, church. Yes, amen. My house. Jesus said my house will be a house of prayer, right? Amen. So we pray. We pray here as much as we can. Years ago, um, when the church, we were just a baby church, and we were about six months old. And, uh, you know, years ago, we, uh, me, myself, and um, Troy Nayer, who's one of our elders now, we would meet together on a weekly basis, sometimes a bi-weekly basis. We would meet together at the Panera Bread here in Bay City, Michigan, and we'd hang out, we'd talk about the Bible, we'd talk about faith, we'd talk about life, you know, and, and the church and what God is doing in our city. And we would get some coffee, and Troy would throw down on a bagel and some cream cheese, and I would get the breakfast sandwich, because I love the breakfast sandwich at Panera, by the way. And um, I would get the hazelnut, because the hazelnut there is delish. And we'd sit down, and we'd have a great time just in fellowship. And 
I love a good um, hot cup of coffee. I don't know about you. And I know, I know some of you are coffee snobs. So you're like, Panera Bread, Pastor Marco, we need to get you out, right? I get that, but I love the hazelnut there, okay? Either way, whenever we would sit down, Troy would notice that I would only fill my cup halfway. And so he would ask, Pastor, why do you fill up your cup only halfway? And I would say, yeah, great question, Troy. Well, here's the thing. I drink my coffee a bit slow, slowly, and if I only fill it up halfway, it ensures that it remains hot the whole time it goes down, right? And so I only fill it up halfway. And he's like, all right, fair enough, right? Fair enough, because there's nothing worse than what is supposed to be a hot drink, suddenly lukewarm, right? There's nothing worse than that. I don't know if there's any busy parents in here this morning, whether you have little ones or maybe they're in high school or whatnot, any busy parents, you find yourself microwaving your coffee several times throughout the morning, right? And so you have that hot cup of coffee, and then all of a sudden, the children come by, and they have needs, they have wants and desires literally every second of the, the, the day. And so you get distracted, and then you're, you're helping out one of your kids, and you come back, and what happens? Your coffee is lukewarm, and you're like, ah, oh, back in the microwave it goes. You get it back out. You sip it. It's hot. Kids come back around. You're busy once again. You're distracted. Okay, cycle begins again. You back in the microwave over and over and over again. The cycle continues, right? The cycle continues until, right, until the cup of coffee stays in the microwave all day long, right? Okay, any moms can relate to that perhaps this morning, right? And then I get home, right? And I'm like, I open up the microwave and it's 4.30 and I'm like, babe, why is there a cup of coffee in the microwave? And she's like, oh yeah, right? About that. I was trying to drink that cup of coffee, and I did not succeed, right? And so eventually, she just got, you know, torn away by the kids, and so the cup of coffee remains in the microwave. Now, the same rules apply for a cold drink, okay? Same rules apply. I love an iced cold Coke at a barbecue with a burger or brats or whatever your thing is, right? Brisket. Bring it on, right? I love a nice cold Coke. Nothing worse than going away from your Coke and you come back and you find if, if it's a glass, all the ice cubes have melted, it's warm, you're like, oh man, no thanks. I'm just not interested in it anymore, right? Kind of gross, just no longer enjoyable. Because the rule is this, a hot drink should be hot and a cold drink should be cold. Amen, church, right? Yeah. A lukewarm drink, though, is just, it's just not enjoyable. It's not acceptable in my house, okay? As far as me and my house goes, right? Now, let's take this and apply this to our spiritual lives, to our walk with God, our relationship with God, because in the Christian life, there are three spiritual temperatures, okay? If you're taking notes, this is important. In the Christian life, there are only three, only three, three spiritual temperatures, okay? Number one is a burning heart, a burning heart. Luke chapter 24 recounts the story of the disciples who are on the road to Emmaus, and who 
appears to them no, none other than the Savior of the universe, Jesus Christ himself. But they are kept from um, realizing that it's him. And the disciples say, I think it's verse 32, the disciples say, did our hearts not burn within us as he talked with us and opened up the scriptures? A burning heart for Jesus. That's the first spiritual temperature. The second spiritual temperature is, I would say, a cold heart, a cold heart. We talked about this verse last week. If you were here or you watched online or whatever it was, Matthew 24, verse 12, Jesus says that because of the increase in wickedness on the earth, the love of many will grow what, church? Cold, yeah, cold. It's going it, to... It's happening before our eyes. It will happen. It will continue to happen. It's not going to slow down if you thought that was going to happen. That's not, that's not the case, okay? Jesus says the love of many will grow cold. So, so we have hot, a burning heart. We have a cold heart. And then finally, we have what Jesus is referring to here in Revelation chapter 3, a lukewarm heart, a lukewarm heart. Now, a lukewarm heart is especially concerning because a lukewarm Christian is comfortable, is complacent, and does not even realize his own need. And so Jesus, listen, Jesus says that these particular Christians are lukewarm, and he's about to spit them from his mouth. That's not a very appealing picture. I want to give you some context to our scripture this morning. The city of Laodicea was surrounded by two other cities, and those two other ancient cities were Hierapolis, I think I'm pronouncing that right, hopefully, and Colossae. Now, Hierapolis had hot water. Colossae, on the other hand, had cold water. But Laodicea, scholars tell us that Laodicea did not have any water at all. So therefore, it needed to be piped in via aqueduct because that's the way it worked in ancient days. And so the result of the water being piped in via aqueduct is that it was, guess what? Lukewarm and dirty. And so Jesus compares the spiritual condition of the church to that of the city's water. And again, he's about to spit them out. So what was their problem? What caused them to be lukewarm? Well, here's what they did. They assessed their spiritual condition in relation to their material wealth for which they had plenty of. They assessed their spiritual condition in relation to their material wealth in which they had plenty of, okay? Material possessions, money, things like that. Now, listen, when, we, when it comes to wealth and money, it's easy for the Western church to say, well, that's not me. That's, that's the other guy over there or him over there, her or whatever in the front row. I see her with that Gucci bag or whatever it is, right? That's that, those people over there. The problem is, is that on a large scale, the, the American church, Western culture is, is so much wealthier than the rest of the world. So the reality is whether you make, maybe you only make 24,000 bucks a year, 
Well, the, you're still wealthy compared to the rest of the world, okay? Compared to the rest of the world. So here's what Jesus says. Notice the first part of verse 17. Jesus says, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. Leave that verse up there. These Christians are basically saying, hey, I'm good. Like, we're good. Like, we, I mean, for the most part, we have, you know, decent jobs, okay? For the most part, we got a little bit of money in the bank. We're doing that Dave Ramsey thing. Anybody on that Dave Ramsey train, right? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Dave Ramsey, pay off all your debt. You got the emergency fund. You got the snowball thing going on with your debt. I mean, you are just rocking and rolling, right? If you don't know who Dave Ramsey is, you need to learn who he is so you can get your money in order in your household. Okay, so the idea is maybe you're like that. The church was that way, right? Jesus, we're good, right? We're working on the RV. Oh, we got the, we're going to Central RV to get the RV, and we're gonna. We're, we, oh, by the way, Pastor, we won't be around the entire summer. We'll see you in the fall, right? That was a joke, by the way. I got the pontoon, right? The pontoon is ready to go. I got the F-250 to pull it, by the way. We got the side-by-sides sitting in the garage for the weekend getaway, so we're good to go there, right? I get to buy one new outfit per week. That's what my husband gives me permission to do, right? And so, listen, we're good. We're pretty good. Oh, Jesus, we don't really need anything. We, we kind of got this. We're, we're okay. Like, it's okay. Like, there's milk in the refrigerator, right? Why? When I open up the tap, water comes out, and it's good, right? We can filter it. Everything is good. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Listen, no, no, no. There is a reality check here. No, you're not. You're actually not good. What are you, what are you talking about? But, but, but I'm investing in a high, right, in a, a, a high return Roth IRA. I am 18%, Jesus, over 30 years. I, I'm, I'm going to have a million dollars. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not what, I, what I mean. No, I, I got the boat, though, Jesus. I, I got the emergency fund plus six months emergency fund. Come on, someone, right? Yeah, someone said, yeah, I got that. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. But you're not good. L listen to the rest of verse 17. But you do not realize that you are what? Wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus says they don't even realize their own need. Now, here's the thing. In the book of Revelation, scholars tell us this, that wealth and riches are associated with profit resulting from compromise with the world's systems. So in other words, that probably looks like wealth that's come through selfish gain or cheating others. Things of that nature. Because I want to be clear, this morning, wealth is not inherently evil. Okay? Wealth is not inherently evil. If we believe that, then what we do is we demonize those with money. That's, 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 not, that's not how it works. Wealth is not inherently evil. The Scripture says this, the love of money is what is evil. 
okay? The love of money. And we should know this. We should know that the pursuit of wealth as an end in itself will always lead to spiritual disaster. It'll always lead to spiritual disaster. But listen, but wealth handled to God's glory, right? To God's glory. Tithing, given the first tithe to the Lord, right? No compromise. Given the first tithe, tenth to the Lord, starting at least there, right? Being generous, saving some. Don't spend everything that you have, obviously, right? Using godly principles can build wealth. It absolutely can. I know a lot of people who have built godly wealth. It can be used to expand the kingdom of God here on the earth. And I've met people who've told me, like, Pastor Marco, like, I'm working, like, on my wealth right now. Like, I want to bless the church. I want to see this thing move forward. Like, I want, I want to be a person that you can call upon. I'll, just, I'll write you a 10 grand check if you need something. Like, I want to be that person, and, I, and I'm going to do it in a godly way. And I'm like, man, praise God. That's awesome. I, I, we need more Christian men, businessmen, and business women. Amen, right? We need more of that to help the economy, to, to stimulate growth in the economy, to hire people for jobs. So, so, so let's not confuse wealth in itself is not evil, but we, we must steward it God's way. Here's what Jesus wants to say to us. The possession of wealth, power, and prestige can blind us to the fact that we are spiritually bankrupt, right? Spiritually bankrupt. The money and the things that we have in our possessions, they may be indeed plentiful. And if that's the case, praise God, right? Praise God. But if we're spiritually bankrupt, what good does any of it matter, right? What does any of it matter? I want you to notice what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 3, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying, blessed are those who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy. Blessed are those who are not begging on their money. Blessed are those who are not begging on how much I pray every day. Blessed are those who are not praying how good I am. No, 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 no. You, you cannot bet on how good you are because you'll never be good enough. Now, now listen, that, that, that is a religious system to, 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 to meet God. It's all about us, what we do, right? I do more than God has to give me more, but that's not the way it works. He's a father. He's a good father. He blesses his children. We don't have to work for it. Parents, right? Our kids don't have to work for our love. We just love, we love to bless. God is a good father. Luke 6, 20, same thing, Beatitudes, Looking at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor. There's no poor in spirit there. And Luke's emphasis here through Jesus' words is those who are simply impoverished. Blessed are you who, who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So Jesus wants us to understand, listen, our spiritual bankruptcy, not just this idea. Again, wealth is not bad. You can wield it and you can use it for, for God's glory. And so we don't want to demonize people who have great wealth. But we also want to understand that wealth can blind us to the fact that we're bankrupt before Christ. Without Jesus, we have nothing. And so Jesus says that, that these Laodiceans are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And here's what I want to do. I want to describe to you what is, what is a lukewarm Christian, then? What does that really mean? And, and, and I'll go through these, um, through these uh, uh, four things and as I describe them, I just want you to just take an assessment of yourself. 
Just take, don't, don't think about someone else. That's easy to do, right? It's like, well, she needs to hear this. Let's go around there. No, no, no. No, just look at yourself. Think about yourself, okay? Well, if he was here, he could hear this message. No, 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 no. Think about yourself, okay? Number one, the Laodiceans had lost their vigor, okay? When you lose your vigor, you're, uh, you, you, you potentially could become a lukewarm Christian. What is that? Strength, your spiritual hunger. So these people were, they were self-satisfied. They were secure. They were independent. They didn't have a need of God. They didn't really need him. So here's what's happening. While their material wealth was growing, their spiritual power had been decaying. So the wealth is growing, but their spiritual power is decaying. Lost their vigor. Number two, the, Laod- the Laodiceans had lost their values, their values. Now, these all begin with the letter V. I know it's a bit cheesy, but it helps us to remember, okay? They lost their values. What does that mean? Well, the Laodiceans began to put their value in things that were not so important, things that were uh, not truly spiritually beneficial, Okay? They did not place their value in Christ or find their value in Christ. They found their value in their worth, in their material, material worth. Now, this can happen in the American church so easily. In fact, there is kind of a joke among pastors that in America, that in Western culture, we measure church, church success by the three Bs. And those three Bs are this, bodies, right, budget, and buildings, bodies, budgets, and buildings, and not just pastors. People in the church do this as well. We measure success with those three, those three Bs. Here's what I mean. Bodies, right? We, we, no pastor wants to get up in front of a church of three people. Like, they, they, they want a packed house. Like, and, and we celebrate when we have people here. There's tons of people, and man, we had 700 come through, um, our, our Easter services, our Christmas services, largest numbers ever, you know, we celebrate those things, but we just can't put all of our weight on those things, right? And so we want bodies in seats. Those are a good thing, but, you know, they go up and down. I mean, that's just the way it goes. What about budgets? We, we can measure our success if the church has money, if, the, if it has generosity. And, and listen, Radiant Church is a generous church, and, and we are secure financially. We were extremely healthy financially, but listen, we can't put all of our weight on that. We can't brag about that. We, we got to steward it for, for God's kingdom, right? And then finally, buildings. We could, have you been to our building, right? Did you see our building? Why don't we have this in our building, Pastor Marco, right? People do that to me. Have you, have you come over here? Have you, have you seen the kids' part? Have you seen that room? Oh, look at our building. Look at our building, right? And, and, and so, hey, buildings are great, and we use them because ministry happens in buildings. That, I mean, that's logic, right? But we can't put all of our weight into that. And Jesus says, no, no, you're, you're, you're finding your value in wrong things, and instead you should be looking for your value in your godliness or your holiness, becoming more... Christ-like. Number three, the Laodiceans had lost their vision. They lost their vision. The Laodiceans could not see reality. This is a problem when this happens. These people could not see themselves as they really were. <laughs> That's a lot of people. Like They're like, I don't think anything's wrong with me. What do you think? You're like, nothing. I'm good. I mean, that is a lot of people in our culture, but even Christians, it happens. Like, we're like, I'm, I'm like, I'm fine. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm good. I mean, I'm not perfect, right? 
<laughs> That's the line everyone uses, isn't it? Well, of course, I'm not perfect, Pastor. I didn't say you were perfect. I didn't even claim it, right? <laughs> Jesus is standing outside the door, and that just begs the question, who are these people worshiping? Ooh. Come on, someone. First service got me riled up. You got a high bar, just to let you know. When we become too obsessed with our own preferences that we forget about a lost and dying world, we have lost our vision in our way, right? Lost our vision in our way. Number four, the Laodiceans had lost their, their vesture or clothing or garments. Vesture. What does that mean? That means this, is that these Christians thought that they were righteous, but Jesus is saying, no, you're naked. You lack righteous character. Your character is not righteous. That's what he's saying here. So you lack this righteous character. When I think about the modern-day church, the, the church in America at least, I think of what is the modern-day equivalent to some of the things that we see that have plagued Laodicea. And I think one of the biggest things that plagues the American church or the Western church is what we call consumer Christianity. Consumer Christianity. Consumer Christianity, listen, what is it and how does it threaten us to become poor, blind, and naked? Let me explain this to you quickly. A consumer Christian treats Christ and his church like commodities that only exist to serve their wants. Let me repeat that because I don't know if enough of you understood this. A, a, a consumeristic Christian is someone who believes church the church, the people in the church, only exist to serve their wants, right? It, it's very me-centered, very me-centered. Let me give you four signs that you might be a consumer Christian, okay? This is important. And again, I'm going to speak very truthfully because it doesn't help any if I just sort of beat around the bush. You know what I mean? So... Okay, let's go. All right. All right, number one, a consumer Christian comes to be served. A contributing Christian comes to serve. Fundamentally very different, right? A consumeristic Christian is someone who's obsessed with self. Now, listen, let me just say this from the outset. It's okay to have preferences. It's okay to use discernment when it comes to choosing a church. These are the extremes of that position, though, okay? Let me, let me, let me say this. These are the extremes. A, a consumeristic Christian is obsessed with the question, what do you have for me? What do you have for me? A consumeristic Christian, listen, always begins the conversation with I. I did this. Well, I have that. Well, I've done this. Will I lead that ministry? Will I go there? Well, I'm an evangelist. Well, I'm a prophet. Well, I'm a preacher. Well, I, 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 hallelujah, hallelujah, right? The church of I, I knew that would get you going. The church of I, I have my ways, church. I want this type of ministry. I'm gifted for this, pastor. I want, and listen, I, and, I, and I know I'm stepping on some toes. I get that, but, but come on, come on, come on. It cannot be all about you, though. If every conversation is I, 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 come on. The focus is off. 
all right? I want servants in the house of God, not consumers, right? Number two, a consumer Christian focuses on their preferences. A contributing Christian is focused on the needs of others, all right? We all have preferences, and I get that. But can I just tell you, you don't have to like everything at the church. You don't have to like everything. It's okay. It's okay. You don't have to like me. You don't have to like what I wear. You don't have to like the carpet. You don't have to like the smoke. You don't have to like the guitar players. You don't have to like the lights. That's okay. I just want you to worship Jesus, though. Can I just tell you that? Okay, I'm going to go off for just a moment. Can I just tell you that when we were in Grand Rapids, my wife and I, we, can I just tell you we went to an amazing church called Calvary, but can I just be very honest with you? I'm going to be very honest with you. We did not like the worship. <gasps> Pastor Mark, <gasps> heresy, someone said, right? We did not like the worship. I just, I thought it was kind of flat. I thought it was lame. I thought it was like, people were not so talented. Now, worship here is fire, straight fire here, okay? I mean, just saying. But here's what we found at Calvary. The word of God was preached without compromise. Man, I mean, he was a brilliant communicator. Jim is, I, mean, I love him as a father in the faith. Father-like figure to me. Brilliant mind, scholar, okay? Great storyteller. I mean, knew how to teach the word of God. And we were like, man, this is like, this is it right here. Like, it's not being compromised here. This is our house right here. So you don't have to like everything. It's okay. It's okay not to like everything. Number three, a consumer Christian focuses on what they will gain from following Jesus. A contributing Christian counts the cost of following Jesus. A consumer Christian, listen, expect, expects something in return all the time. Well, what's in, again, what's in it for me? What do I get from this? What do I have? What's this, right? But a, a, a contributing Christian is saying, hey, what can I, I'm here, how can I help? You know what a servant of God is? I just, I got done talking to um, had a conversation with our, our youth intern, Carter, a, a couple of weeks ago. We talked about a servant. What does a servant of God look like? And I told Carter, I said, Carter, a servant of God who is someone who just shows up and says, whatever you want to use me, I'm here. He was like, yeah, I like that. A servant of God just shows up and says, whatever you want, pastor, I'm here. I just want to serve his glory, not mine. And I love it when people come into the house of God and they're just like, put me in anywhere. I mean, I can sing and play guitar, but I don't have to be on stage. I'm like, what? Are you serious? You don't have to be on stage? That's crazy. A servant of God just shows up and says, hey, it's not about me. Put me in anywhere, coach, right? Number four, a consumer Christian has trouble finding a church family. A contributing Christian joins a family and begins inviting new members into that family. Can I just tell you, I got to preach it. I got to be real with you this morning. I am always just a big concern when people say, I just haven't found the right church for me. I'm like, okay, 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 okay. How long have you been looking? Three years. Three years. And you haven't found the church for you. This church is too big. This church is too small. This church doesn't have modern worship. This church, I don't like his preaching. This church doesn't have kids' classrooms. This church does. This, listen, listen, listen. We didn't show up to worship you, though, okay? Okay? 
And I'm always real weary when Christians cannot find a place to worship. That is a sign of trouble. Can I just, I'm just gonna be real with you this morning. It does not help me to somehow skirt around the truth. A contributing Christian is somebody who can embrace, listen, both the beautiful and the mess of the church. Why? Because Jesus embraces both the beautiful and the messiness in us. Right? And so here's what happened. Here's what happens, excuse me. Consumer Christians, they miss out on true community because they're looking, they're searching for the perfect church. But here's the thing. The moment you walk in that church, it's ruined anyways, right? <laughs> you and all your baggage, right? You and all your past, you and all your addictions, you and all your relational troubles, you and your broken family and dysfunctional way of life. Hey, I love you, I'm just saying, right? You and your anger problem, you and your cynicism, you and your being overly critical of the pastor and of the staff members, you and I don't like this, you and I hate that, you and I hate him. You come in and you just make a mess. So can I just say, we need to stop looking for the perfect churches. Listen, I get it. We, okay, I, I understand some of you, you're going to be like, you're getting mad already. Right? You want the perfect church, but the idea is, listen, it doesn't exist. Can I just tell you, your church is led by a broken pastor. Your church is led by an imperfect family. Your church is led by imperfect leaders. You are imperfect when you show up. It's not an excuse to stay in sin. That's not what I'm saying at all, okay? The attitude, listen, that we should have is, I'm here, put me in anywhere, coach. Now, can you give me this? Can I have this? Can I do that? Can you do this? Can I be on stage? Can I do that? No, 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 no. Pump the brakes. No, no, no. Let's talk about how you're going to serve the body. So what's the solution? Verse 18, we're going over on time, so just understand this today. <laughs> Here's the solution. Jesus says this, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying this, He's saying, listen, what you need is gold refined in fire. What does that mean? It means purification. It means testing. It means trials. Jesus is saying, what you could use is a little bit of testing. You're way too comfortable. You need to be refined in the fire so you'll come out looking like gold, right? You need to have your feelings hurt occasionally, right? Those things are good. You need to not always have your way in the local church. That is okay, right? You need to be refined in the fire. And then Jesus says what you need is you need new garments. In other words, stop relying on your own works and start relying on the work of Jesus Christ at the cross, right? And then Jesus says, you need eye salve. You need an ointment to put on your eyes. You need to truly see who the lost and dying are. You need to see that you are in great rebellion against me, against, against Jesus himself. You need to see that you, you've fallen short. 
You're broken, right? You're destitute. You're nothing. You're lost without Jesus. You need to stop saying, I'm good. I'm okay. If I'm trying to live a good life, stop saying that and simply say, "My, I'm relying on Christ because I have nothing, right? I'm relying on Jesus and his finished work at the cross. So how can we prevent from becoming a lukewarm Christian? Here's the thing. Keep the focus. Here's the answer. Keep the focus on Jesus Christ and his mission. That's it. When our eyes remain on him and the mission he's called us to, we can stay red hot for Jesus. We need to stop relying on false metrics because we all do this, right, including myself, relying on bodies or butts and seats. Stop relying on budgets, right, or relying on buildings, right? And again, those things are all good. They can be used for the glory of God. I'm not saying that they're, they're, they're bad. Listen, I do have a vision for a brand new kid's wing, by the way. I have that vision that God is stirring that up in me right now. Right now, he's stirring that up, a brand new, beautiful kid's wing to accommodate and facilitate all the kids that I believe that Jesus wants us to reach in this city, okay? Okay? So I see that. That's going to happen. I believe that will happen, right? I, 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 I do see. I have vision for a, a, a youth room, a, a teenage room where Carter is leading it, and he's got 200 young people on fire for Jesus. I, I do see that. Okay? So come on, someone, right? We're, we're moving in that direction. But as long as we're not relying on putting our value into those types of things, we need to stop showing up at church simply asking the question, well, what can they do for me? And start asking the question, what can I do for the church? How can I be a blessing, right? What can I do? Listen, we need to be people who can set aside our preferences for the greater mission of Jesus in our city. We need to put aside some of the some of the preferences that we have. Listen, can we focus on him once again? And I want to end our service by just by putting our focus back on Jesus this morning. That's how I want to end with a time of worship because listen, God wants more. God what God wants more than anything is a place where Jesus will be exalted and his people will live their lives in light of that exaltation, right? Lives of desperate pursuit and increasing godliness. I want us to be that church, that red hot church. Can we be that church in year number five, church? Can we be that year six, year seven, year eight, year nine until Jesus comes back? Let's be that church, yeah be that church. Barry, I could use your, your hand here a little bit. I'm going to move this to the side here. But the band's going to lead us in the time of worship. I want you to go ahead and stand right now. And we're going to do this. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to shift our gaze to Jesus, right, in worship. And I know for some of you, this is like a bit foreign, but can I just tell you that you were actually created to worship. You were created to worship. And when you, when you see Jesus, when you have an encounter with him, I promise you, you'll be able to see everything else so clearly. But you need to see him first. Even if you've come in with needs, even if you've come in broken, oh, Pastor Marco, I'm broken. I, I have all kinds of needs. That might be true, but I want you to fix your eyes on Jesus, not your needs right now. Fix your eyes on Jesus, because as you see Jesus, listen, I promise you, listen, you'll be able to see everything else in relation to that revelation. So let's pray. Father, we love you. Jesus, you are exalted in this house. You are worthy of it all. 
And so day and night, God, let incense arise. Let prayer and worship come from this house, God. Let our worship be Christ-exalting, presence-driven, done with excellence that appeals to you alone and no man, God. Jesus, you are the center of it all. You are the focal point of our lives. You are in the midst of this house. Jesus, it's not about us. It's about who you are. And so, God, we love you. We lift up our hands this morning. We lift up our praise. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship right now, church. Come on.